you're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about albums that we think are unsung classics, and then you guys tell us if you're right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. thing that I just wanted to go back to uh, from those many records was when we were talking about Professional Widow and we mentioned Courtney Love mm-hmm. and I was just wondering if there might be a Nexus. Ooh. Is it maybe time we do our Nexus? Nexus same lads. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mark is desperate. <laughs> <laughs> he works hard on this one. To get his Nexus it. So uh, a little bit Fritz in. Yep. It's the Unsung Podcast. Dave Glow Nexus. Need to find Connect the show to that guy For playing in Nirvana To hanging with Obama He knows lots of folk So stands to reason we'll find a way It's the Unsung Podcast Dave Grohl Nexus Don't take too long Who wants to go first? Not me. Uh, I'll go first. Okie dokie. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, Tori Amos is friends and they, they appear to have swapped ideas um, with the fantasy novelist uh, Neil Gaiman. You cock. Is that <laughs> your beginning? Carry on. I mean, uh, there's so we've, many... St- we've never completely gone down the same street there, for an exit. It's very are, hard to, I'd imagine. Yeah, there's, I mean, I've got... I think I've got 14 steps So if you follow oh, All 14 I, I've only I got hate you. This week I've only went with 5 I, I mean there was definitely Ways to do it In less steps But uh, uh, Neil Gaiman's uh, Fantasy novel Stardust mm-hmm. uh-huh. You haven't followed me Down no. the road Yes <laughs> uh, Was released in 2007 As a movie Directed by Kenneth Branagh It was directed by Matthew Vaughn Oh okay um, Kenneth Branagh's in it though, right? Michelle Pfeiffer. Who did Blair Cake right? and things. Matthew um, was responsible for the X-Men franchise, isn't Oh uh, yeah, that's right. Can I just say, it's like because Brian Singer's about to be outed for... <laughs> oh, yeah, about to things. be. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a lot of British comedic talent in that Stardust film. Okay. And there was three ghosts. One of them was David Williams. One of them was... Uh, you say talent. Julian Rind Tut from uh, Green Wing. The curly haired chap. Oh, yeah, he's all right. And uh, another one was Adam Buxton. Yeah, he's good. Um, Adam Buxton, 
I thought I could go down the podcast route because he's talked to so many folk. But then I decided I would go down the Nevermind the Buzzcocks route because uh, okay. Adam Buxton is a good guest host on Nevermind the Buzzcocks a couple of times, I think. And so the list of Nevermind the Buzzcocks guest hosts is fairly vast. I mean, there's definitely some there that could get me to Dave Grohl quicker. You know, there's like Alice Cooper, uh, David Hasselhoff, Juliette Lewis. Uh, so I decided to go with uh, Krishnan Guru Murthy. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. The uh, Channel 4 news presenter. Uh, he presented, never mind the Buzzcocks, the best of series 27 episode. Uh, anyway, I don't know if you remember, but in 2013, Guru Murthy interviewed Quentin Tarantino. Yes. And like, did you forget? Uh, it was during the... Django Unchained era. I'm shutting uh, your ass down. And he, and he, yeah, he, <laughs> I'm shutting your butt down. It ain't none of your business what I think about that. Uh, he was talking about uh, gun violence and uh, violence in Quentin Tarantino films, and I think it was just after Sandy Hook as well. And um, yeah, uh, Tarantino told me fuck off, basically. Uh, so that brings me to Quentin Tarantino. Now, did you know Quentin Tarantino got his first Hollywood job uh, working with Roger Avery in 1986 as production assistants on Dolph Lundgren's exercise video Maximum Potential of course, <laughs> of course I knew that what do you mean did you uh, so yeah uh, Dolph Lundgren of course of course I mean famous for uh, Rocky IV and some other films uh, including uh, <laughs> Universal Shark, Soldier the Punisher he was the Punisher he was the Punisher including Sharknado 5 Global Swarming, which uh, came out in 2017. Uh, now, the list of supporting cast in Sharknado 5 is incredible. Everybody from uh, Samantha Fox, uh, Kate Garraway, uh, uh, Katie Price, a.k.a. Jordan, is in what? there. We've got, I mean, Tony Hawk is in there. Wow. Uh, Caprice. Um, I feel and, like I've stopped in a fucking coma. Uh, Olivia Newton-John. <laughs> appeared as Orion in Sharknado 5 Uh, now Olivia Newton-John I don't know if you've ever heard of the film Grease she co-starred she co-starred in it yeah it's about the uh, (laughs) The economic financial (laughs) uh, uh, crisis Um, and co-starring in that film was a man called uh, John Travolta well Um, I don't know if have you guys ever heard of John Travolta is he the guy from Battlefield Earth. Oh yeah, I yeah. Yes, yeah. No, uh, John Travolta is the guy from this video of Foo Fighters playing "You're the One I Want" with John Travolta on stage. That's wild. That exists. So, uh, Holy shit, man. That's a good, um, that's a good one. Well done. Travolta wrong. was in Florida filming the Fred Durst-directed film Moose <laughs> <laughs> when he, and was watching the band from side of stage when Dave Grohl directed him onto the stage for a hug. Hell's bells. I don't think I've ever heard those words in that combination <laughs> before. <laughs> wait, wait a minute, right? At this point, it's so ridiculously easy to get a nexus. Do you think there's like multiple... Foo Fighters just going about like because th- there can't be enough time in the day yeah, to do all these things that they're doing. Do so, do you think the Andrew WK um, the conspiracy the conspiracy is actually a conspiracy to take that the Foo Fighters are doing to take people's eyes off the fact that there's about ten Foo Fighters? Possibly, it's yeah, it's just, it's like a distraction, like a yeah. Oh, well, there you are, clever, cloned. 
Mm. All right, does somebody want to better that one? There you go, Chris. Mine's not funny. (laughs) It's it's not funny. It's relevant, but it's not funny. Uh Yeah, so, well, luckily they've got all the laughs at the road. Um, Tori Amos is, yes, she's friends with Neil Gaiman, uh, the British author of graphic novels like Sandman or The Sandman. She wrote, Enter Sandman is a Sandman. <laughs> <laughs> she wrote the foreword to one of his books and he is the godfather to our daughter Natasha Holly. Gaiman married the singer Amanda Palmer, aka Amanda fucking Palmer, in 2011. Amanda Palmer is an interesting character. Uh, in 2012 she raised 1.2 million dollars on a Kickstarter which at the mm-hmm. time was the, the biggest amount ever raised by a musician to fund a tour But for that tour, she invited local musicians to perform voluntarily in exchange for, quote, exposure, beer, fun and hugs. Mm. That's cool. Exposure (laughs) exposure pays my rent, so that sounds like a deal. After she'd raised $1.2 million on that Kickstarter. Now, Steve Albini, who's a man that usually keeps his thoughts to himself, (laughs) and even when he does let them out, is very... uh, Nuanced. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He chose to speak out about it declaring that Amanda Palmer uh, is an idiot (laughs) (laughs) if you are forced by your ignorance into pleading for donations and charity you are demonstrably not as good at your profession as Yandek Moondog (laughs) Gigi Allen and every band ever to go on tour without a slush fund (laughs) or the kids who play in buckets from downtown there's actually a fuller reply from Steve Steve Albini which is a little bit more nuanced because I know there'll be people going oh but 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 it's a good reply he gives actually, but it's also quite funny. He wasn't the only one. The New York Times also ran a fairly extensive piece documenting the kind of moral outrage and backlash uh, to her doing that. Uh, I believe she then said that she was going to pay people after all, but it wasn't the first and it's not been the last time that she's raised quite a bit of money uh, via Kickstarters before going on tours. Now, Amanda Palmer, very prolific uh, musician as well and a, and a few different projects including under her own name uh, but she's written on various subjects including a blog about uh, a date rape that she experienced in her early 20s and kind of in keeping with that theme Spin Magazine on the 20th anniversary of Nevermind released a compilation called Newer Mind or Nevermind if you're German um, but Newer Mind features a whole bunch of artists covering Nirvana songs and Amanda Palmer chose to cover Polly. Now Polly is in itself written about uh, the abduction and rape of a 14 year old girl in Washington State in 1987 I think it was in Tahoma as the girl left a, a rock show now, the actual details of that are pretty horrific it's all to do with her being suspended from the ceiling and the guy who did it it was I think not his first it's a, it's a pretty incredible story Cobain wrote about it but also in a, a horrible twist in 1991 I think it was a couple of men abducted a girl and uh, subjected her to a, a series of sexual assaults and rapes and sang the song Polly to her as they were doing it and in the sleeve notes for the Incesticide compilation album, Cobain, the original version of the album has an extended essay written by Kurt Cobain, which was to do with him trying to distance the band from this new jock contingent that was in their audience. And he said that one of the things that put him off music most, be paraphrasing here, but was that he now had people like that in his audience. Yeah, so he addressed that in that original sleeve note to that album, uh, in which Dave Grohl appears playing a few tracks, or not many but yeah Dave Grohl Dave Grohl we got there in the end not funny not funny at all (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, okay, so Tori Amos's song, Professional Waddle, appears on the soundtrack to the 1996 film Escape from LA. Escape from LA, really? Yeah. And the Escape from LA... Along with Tool? Motion picture soundtrack does indeed contain such amazing artists as Tool, Orange 9mm, White Zombie, mm-hmm. Stabbing Westward. Wow. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a also on the Spawn soundtrack. Did John Carpenter play on that? No. Well, he he did the score for it, but not the soundtrack. So it was the original score on the soundtrack. Right. White Zombie contain one Mr. Rob Zombie. Mm-hmm. Who's just announced a gig in Glasgow in yeah. June. And so we'll all be going to that, dressed as the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Rob Zombie and Dave Grohl appeared on the rock remix of a Puff Daddy song <laughs> called It's All About the Benjamins, which also features Tommy Stinton from The Replacements, as well as the Notorious B.I.G., so, That's excellent. There you go. That is good. Good job, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, that took you what, like an hour? Yeah. <laughs> I, I had a longer one, but I thought I seen that one and I thought, yeah, I think that's got something going to go down that route. So, yeah. Yeah. Nice one. All right. Touch of Fritz and then we'll fucking wade in waist deep in this. Talk about this actual album, eh? So, From the Choir Girl Hotel was released in 1998. It was Tori mm-hmm. Amos' fourth album. It's particularly poignant to her and to the listeners, especially when she started listening to the lyrics, uh, because it dealt with two of three miscarriages that she'd experienced. Basically, she cast the songs as residents of a hotel. I think like the way I tried to think about it was that song to song, listening to the backstories that are articulated within them, it's almost like a camera panning very slowly from room to room. They, they're not associated with each other, you know, they're not, it's not like a, a narrative, mm-hmm. that, a, an, an evolving narrative, but they are all strangely consistent with being in one slightly unfortunate situation while you're in that place. And there is a really nice overall sense of unity to this album, even though the, the, the constituent parts are quite uh, distinct. As I said, this was her first tour with a full band and I would love to see Tori Amos with a full band. I've seen her playing live and she does the two piano thing. It's amazing, she's great, but I would love to hear some of this stuff with the full arrangement. I think more so than even on Boys for Pele, there were little touches of production and electronics, but on this, they really come to the fore. And as I say, I, th- I think she'd been influenced by that sense of adventure that she'd seen in people like PG Harvey. Mm-hmm. Um, and that continues into... Uh, to Venus and back afterwards and it's a really important album and blowing open those doors of what she could and couldn't do the first song Spark was a single it significantly doesn't start with piano which I think was a very deliberate decision in fact Virtually none of this album starts with piano. And that, for people who are big Tori Amos fans, was probably a little bit of a shock. Uh, Sparks drums and guitar and has like this really strange combination of affected vocals that are quite narrow and quite transistor-like that then open out and become really clear and quite beautiful in the choruses, which kind of adds to that sort of blossoming effect that each chorus has.
Uh, there's also lyrics in it which given the underlying themes about the miscarriages, the part about but she couldn't keep baby alive, that sense of a woman feeling guilty for not being able to carry through a pregnancy is a very touching moment in that song, especially the way it's, it's sung. There's also about two and a half minutes in this song, the middle eight starts and it gets very Kate Bushy and then really lifts at the three minute mark. I, I love that moment. At the end of this this uh, this tune, you're really under no illusions that all right, something different is happening with this woman's album, at least, and like I said, her career going onwards. Just the overall, yeah, the, the overall production of this record is just very interesting. Uh, and going back to it, having not listened to it until now, so you know it's got a 21 year gap, but knowing other Tori Amos stuff, I, yeah. So I have to say, I didn't I didn't know this album at all. Mm. Uh, before you suggested it. Yeah, which is exactly, because um, it's, you know, it's on the fan lists, it's always like three or four or five. It's not like it's ignored, but I think there's a widespread ignorance of it above yeah, out, it's out with there. That. Yeah, Yeah, and fans will know it, but, you know, beyond that. I mean, first up, particularly when Spark started, do you know who I thought it sounded like? I thought it sounded like a perfect circle. <laughs> It's got that guitar on it, yeah. uh, but it's two years or it's a year before a perfect circle came yeah. out. Um, but she's obviously friends with Maynard and with Trent Reznor and yeah. that whole vibe. So I want you know, I wonder if this was sort of happening Absolutely. at a similar time. I don't which know is who really the, interesting. I don't know who the production team was in the first Perfect Circle album, which is their only decent album. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it, it could well have been there could be could have been some cross pollination there. Yeah. After Spark, we'll we'll talk about each song. Yeah, um, well, it, but. I think overall it doesn't necessarily, you know, maintain that band vibe the the whole way through. But what it the vibe that it does have is like that it's a sort of intangible nineties sound. Definitely. Like so maybe late nineties, but very influenced by trip hop, by hip hop, yeah. by electronica, by that London Bristol scene. Bristol thing, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's really interesting. And especially on uh, Cruel, in, that was definitely darker. Was she um, living in the UK by this time? I don't yeah, yeah, because I think she got married in 1998 to an English music producer. But it's really, it's really interesting that that uh, we've been doing this album this week because on Monday I went to see Massive, Massive Attack, Attack, who were doing their 21st anniversary of Mezzanine. Um, so it came out the same year. Same year. Yeah. Uh, and also I got asked by a friend James at Nice and Sleazy's to DJ the Pretend After Show. So I, sp- I actually spent a few days like trying to work out what people would listen to from, you know, after a Massive Attack show and I was delving down into, you know, weird playlists and like compilation albums from when I was wee. Yeah. And I used to be into like, I was, I was pretty cool when I was little. I don't know if you guys know, but. <laughs> the, the, word, uh, the word reached us then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember like, the, I remember I had a compilation record called Wired Future Directions in Dance and it was maybe like 
94, 95 it came out and it had Chemical Brothers, Left Field. Prodigy, Orbital. Uh, Orbital, yeah, Satan by Orbital, which I, f- you know, I fucking love that song. Massive attack, you know, tricky, goldy. A lot of stuff. And so I've just kind of been immersed in that. By the way, Satan by Orbital, but whole surfer sample. Is it? Satan, Satan, Satan. Oh, yeah, so it is. But whole surfers. Um, but yeah, it's weird that I've just been immersed in that sort of sound for the last few days. Yeah. Uh, and then the Massive Attack show, which included original visuals by Adam Curtis. Uh, and it was basically, to be honest, it was an Adam Curtis documentary soundtracked by yeah. Massive Attack. Oh, yeah. um, Has anybody seen th- any Banksy's, by the way? Not yet, but I'm sure one will <laughs> pop up. Um, but I. Uh, you know, and that was just lots of clips of, um, you know, sort of 90s visuals and things like that. And so it's just been interesting that this album really, really fits in yeah. to that visual and musical aesthetic and vibe that I've been in for the last week anyway. And maybe that does contribute to where I got this notion that she was British because there is a huge British influence on her music at mm-hmm. this point and, mm-hmm. and going forward. So that's possibly part of it. Can I also just say at that Massive Attack show... Uh, so the whole theme of the visuals and the show in itself is the fact that um, the elites right now or people in power uh, in the present the elites use use nostalgia and the past to make us not think about the future uh, and we just sort of consume and do whatever oh fuck Adam Curtis loves to fucking talk about that yeah right Uh, and just as um Angel, one of, you know, the best songs ever written, was finishing. The woman in front of me decided that was the point. By Robbie Williams. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Funnily enough, they played that at the beginning because instead of a support band, they just had hits from 1998 on a ghetto blaster playing through a microphone. (laughs) Because at one point I was like, guy, I think Shaggy is playing right now. (laughs) And the song uh, Aerosmith, the song from Armageddon, was the track that came on uh, before they came Anyway, this woman decided that that was the point during the song Angel that she was going to show her partner all the photos that she'd taken of the show on her camera with the flash on, with a a filter already on. And that was the time that she would go through the photos of the show that was still happening, (laughs) where the entire theme of it was to do with looking at the past rather than thinking about the future. And I have never been A, more annoyed at a person... And be more impressed about how thematically relevant she was to the show. So maybe she was a plant just to give me even more of that show. Uh, so fuck that woman, but also very that'd be, thematically that'd be relevant. A really subtle but clever bit of like postmodern theatre. Yeah, yeah, just 
put cunts around the audience to do things that are relevant. You know, now I think about it, I've been going to shows for ages and there's cunts all around the audience. Yeah, exactly. Really? So yeah. it's been done that. before. I really hate that, yeah. Talking to trip hop, the second track in this. Yeah, very trip hop. Cruel, cruel. Yeah. very trip hoppy, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Again, it avoids the piano. Uh, it has it's almost got like a like birth a genre here, but like soft industrial. Yeah, it's got a, I've written mm. here, it's got a nine inch deals vibe. Yeah, but sure. it's a very gentle. And it's one. got that those big mm. uh, epic massive attack drums kind of. Yeah, as well. um, nice, nice bassline. There's cool, like that cool kind of weird mm. feedbacky thing that's in it. It's a bit dirty and scuzzy as a result. Really brooding. It's got that very overdriven bass guitar as well. Yeah. So it's like a totally different production aesthetic for this woman. Um, the third track, Black Dove, uh, January Girl, is easily my top three Tori Amos songs. I fucking adore this song. It's amazing. Very kind of, it's a kind of weird muted piano thing at the start. It's kind of buried. There's a huge Kate Bush influence in this song in the in the choruses, where yeah, she just really mm-hmm. opens out, and it just is massive and astral and just. So lush. I actually I wrote um, Kate Bush, but produced by DJ Shadow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so there, there you go. The composition uh, in this song is particularly impressive. It's beautiful. Uh, there's also there's an almost a medieval segue when she does the, the line by the woods, by the woods, by the woods, by the woods. has this very medieval descent to it that's really fucking effective. I don't know where she came up with it, but it's great. Then she switches from that medieval thing into a very modern, I have to get to Texas, so I had to get two taxis. Which is almost like a, a typical Tori Amos bit and then drops back out into this much more mm-hmm. unusual song. I mean, I, I fucking love this song. I've been listening to this song for a long, long time. This is one of the first Tori Amos songs I liked and it's probably not long after it came out and it's still just as potent. The track after that, Raspberry Swirl. terrible um, <laughs> so that, that was a double A side with the track Cruel yeah. um, and it also there's quite a famous remix of Raspberry Swirl kicking about as well yeah. 
uh, not as famous as Professional Widow, but at the time, not a kick in the arse off it. The thing that really kills the song for me is that at the start, she does that, let's go, kind of yeah. thing as the beat's building up, and it just it just raises your it's hackles. It's the upbeat pop single. I, I wasn't sure if it's a problem with the album, but it's the fact that it, it is very dated of the 90s. Yeah. yeah. And well, this like, one dates it this more is, than... Yeah. This track does it more than any. Absolutely. It does make it very much of that era, whereas some of the other tunes, I think, have lasted much better, such as Black Dove. Uh, it's kind of stompy, and yeah, I'm sure it was fun at the time, but I don't think it's aged particularly well. But again, not piano-led. Mm-hmm. Um, it's followed by the track Jackie's Strength. I think it's the first time that the album really sounds like Tori Amos. Yeah, it sounds like Tori Amos. Tori Amos. Yeah, yeah. this was a single as well, which I I didn't actually know. And there was also quite a big remix of this, and I have not heard it, but I'm going to look it out for the purposes of the show because I don't really know how you could remix. Apparently, it was a pretty big club remix at the time. Huge strings in this. It's really cinematic sounding. It's very evolving narrative. It's like you kind of was it not about Jackie Onassis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a double narrative to yeah. it. And Tor- Tori Amos said that she originally was basing some of the, the lyrics on Jackie Onassis and Jackie's strength and how she was going to deal with it. stuff to do with JFK being assassinated but that then, also that sounds a bit too on point for her isn't it? yeah well that's it and she didn't want to write about it in such an obvious way so she wrote this song that was basically she'd been asked to get married obviously and she said she was terrified because she'd never thought of herself as being a person that would get married mm-hmm. and she uses this this metaphor of of this woman dealing with this act of violence um it's got a weirdly Enya vibe to the plucked string bits did anybody notice that dislike it but it really really always summons to mind mm-hmm. Enya um, I mean Enya is just a nice warm bath so there's nothing wrong with Enya <laughs> it's a soapy bath can't wait to do an Enya album what did you think of this song Mark? good string production on it quite cinematic you know really big um, I don't know why but this seemed to me the, like one of the songs you would like more yeah I liked, I liked this song one of the few songs I liked on the record yeah oh <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll the cruise bomb is dropped <laughs> So uh, you know, the fuse is lit I think Hey guys sorry to interrupt uh, But Mark has just shown me an advert 
oh. that they obviously know oh. his, uh, we all their, covet them now. their market. Oh dear. Uh, <laughs> a pair of jeans that were advertised to him. Now, I don't know how to describe them. They're, they're like chaps. Chaps. No, they seem to think that you're a cowboy. They, yeah. They look like you're wearing a pair of jeans and then wearing a pair of very fitted thigh-high boots over them yeah. in like black suede. Can I just highlight a portion of what you said though? They were mm. marketed to him. To me, Something in Mark's yeah, search, yeah. History search history and lifestyle gone. is saying that that is what Mark Suede yeah. chaps. Suede chaps. That's what I've always Maybe, wanted. Uh, you've just been Googling... Big, big chaps <laughs> uh, But anyway To let Mark Afford These uh, Extravagances Urgently Urgently uh, I'd acquire we, them immediately Please Urge you uh, To donate to us um, It also pays for Our hosting And uh, squeaky microphones And things like that What's yeah. the address Dave? Uh, the address is Unsungpod.net Slash donate yeah. We're there We reached the point Where you a year That's fine um, But yeah it would be lovely to get those chaps on and um, on that chap just any cash at all it'd be lovely for it's us much appreciated. see them in those chaps and if we did my buy god. those chaps my god the photo would be good fucking 35 pounds by the way <laughs> what is all of it there you go guys there's a target <laughs> <laughs> yeah if we can raise 35 pounds this week that would please be. please don't buy so somebody chaps. ask Amanda Palmer <laughs> I can see a couple of grand lying around great thank you guys uh, enjoy So track six, Lie, L-Y-L-I-E-E-E. Mm-hmm. With your ease and your ease and I'm doing my Again, drifts away from piano. You've had that one tune, Jackie Strength, that has the piano there. This one moves away from it really dark kind of drum red led with a lot of strings um i think there's almost moments in this song where it she does like a portishead type thing or she tries to emulate it to some extent because there's a lot of like weird little glitchiness and noises happening in the background that aren't it's also got that big 90s bass that's yeah yeah cumbersome kind of funky Mm. sort of thing yeah Mm -hmm. Um, I do think the chorus in this one it, it, it opens out to really let her yeah. use her vocal again, which I think is almost always effective with Tori Amos. Um, and she does this really nice production technique where she keeps drying up the vocals on the word sacrifice which comes at the end of the chorus mm. and it's every time it just closes in it comes really close up to you when you're listening to it um and there's just there's a lot of like quite touching lyrics yeah it's quite a wistful song so another song which has got really great composition as well you know she's obviously really adept at putting together so many different disparate pieces into making something which is unlike anything else Seventh track, Liquid Diamonds, uh, starts with probably one of the most ostentatious kind of electronic beats that she uses. Again, 
again she kind of messes about with the vocal production from line to line mm-hmm. bringing the reverb in and bringing the reverb out um, it's really minor uh, and it's kind of vibe and it's key and I think this song contributes to the ratio of darkness in this album that makes yeah. it quite a sombre record and does give the, the artwork's kind of gloomy the hotel stuff is all quite dingy in your head you know and the the chorus in this one as well like it, the words are sort of relatively imperceptible they're just kind of achingly sad mm-hmm. in the way that, that she uses it um, and the pre-chorus is like really intimately sung as well yeah, some of the lower register parts that remind me I like well I wrote down Boy, but kind of more like Trent Reznor when he's crooning. Yeah, you're right. It's got that total same kind of vibe yeah. to it. Um, She's Your Cocaine, the eighth track. Very PG Harvey-ish. Very old rock, 90s. Yeah, rock, yeah. like yeah. this is this is one of the things that I think originally tipped me off to like, I think there's a PG Harvey thing happening here because mm-hmm. um, it is more stompy, it is rocky and it's just like a million miles away from winter. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you take that as like one example, one high profile example, um, I don't think it's bad. Uh, the guitar part is fucking minging by the way. <laughs> the sound of it is horrendous. It, it definitely doesn't sound anything like as natural a fit as it does yeah. on PJ Harvey. Her voice is great though. Her voice is fucking fantastic in yeah. this one. Another standout track for me is Northern Lad, the ninth one. I, yeah. I love this song. It's really aged mm. really well. And it, yeah. Very, yeah. very open and very honest mm. song of like relationship loss. Uh, so like cathartic to listen to this tune and mm. just feel sorry for yourself. Had a Northern Lad not exactly I think it's one of the most typical Tory songs, uh, Tory Amos songs on this. Definitely. Lyrically yeah. and instrumentally. Uh, the vocal in it is at points like, frequently incredible. Like, yep. incredible. really soft don't say that you don't little bit that she does before she eases into that first chorus is just oh man addressing a woman directly in this as well the lines like uh, girls you've got to know when it's uh, time to turn the page things like that are like prime Tori Amos mm. talking to women about a subject that's clearly from a woman's perspective it's just so direct it's so personal in the way it comes across even as a guy like listening yeah. to that song you're like that's that's amazing mm. there's some very effortless you know you feel like you're on the same level as a musician at that moment yeah, a lot of people uh, picked up on uh, in the second verse when she says it gets so fucking cold. 
Fucking. Fucking. Yeah. Uh, the way that she says it, a lot of people have picked up. And in fact, it's mentioned in an academic review of Tori Amos's lyrics. Really? Uh, yeah. But just about how a word traditionally seen as vulgar, she manages to make it transcend vulgarity and it doesn't appear out of place in like poetry basically that's that's just so strange right because without knowing about that i one of the things that really jumped out about this song is how right that word feels in there mm-hmm. you listen to this beautiful lament and I, I can imagine for some of our audience that's not something like if you're playing this in the car you know like your parents are playing little earthquakes it's mm-hmm. like oh god it's got a bad word in it it fits and it feels natural it doesn't feel crass yeah. it doesn't feel like like a device it just feels really appropriate at that moment yeah. and emphasises the line in all the right ways as opposed to making it jar for yeah. all, all the wrong reasons. It's a really painfully sad song yeah. and I think that bit in the chorus where she just soars with the vocal there's, there's very few moments in her career that are as really heart-wrenching when I heard this song which is a song I like is when I started to really question the sequencing of the record and it's when I, when it I started it's kind of buried isn't yeah, it yeah when I started yeah. to think more about the sequencing of the record that's when I started that's when the whole that's when I started to come up to come un, undone for me like the record because the way this sits in the record is a lot of the songs in start contrast to each other but I don't think it's done in a particularly good way maybe and this song should this song should definitely be on the record it shouldn't be here and the song that's before it makes it I think does make it sound better just by dint of the last mm. song being kind of annoying yeah I mean if you were making a mixtape you would give yourself a row for going from those from one into the other here because mm-hmm. it is too inconsistent I think yeah. yeah in terms of feel it's so fucking good though did you notice as well the line where when pianos try to be guitars yeah, yeah, yeah. like her referencing yeah. all those kind of like scathing not scathing but you know negative comments about some of her work on Boys for Pelly from mm. patronising cunts yeah patronising cunts track 10 Hotel it's like one of the most eclectic does a lot of different things in it starts like a full on electronica song to this weird again that soft industrial thing mm-hmm. and then it gets quite baroque mm. baroque baroque yeah you know we're not american i guess but it's a quite an adventurous tune I think it actually comes together quite well she's done this in a couple of other albums where she's tried to uh, I think there's a track called is it Space Dog on one of the other albums where I think she's tried this before and it just sounds all over the place it sounds like a badly done Bohemian Rhapsody mm. whereas this is much more concise and I think the transitions do kind of work um, I just wrote that I don't know for some reason I compared it to Homogenic uh-huh. which came out a year earlier and this just sounded a little bit 
sloppy compared to <laughs> maybe <laughs> like maybe trying to do some of the same things but not quite as precise I think to be honest we've identified I think a few points in this woman's career where where she seems to have been turned on to an idea by one of her peers mm-hmm. maybe even a peer that originally was inspired by her and she's trying to incorporate a little bit of that idea and sometimes it works better than others yeah um, and this does seem to be the album where she starts to be a bit more into the electronica side of things and into the experimental production side of things like Bjork I wrote that was just like a nothing song it just didn't it's got a lot of interesting stuff on it but it just didn't hold together for me I, I get what you're saying I, 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 yeah I mean it's got a cool vocal part of that song but it also kind of floated past me but it was on actually on the next song on Playboy Mummy which is where I I also made a note of like there's a huge issue with the flow of this record it bounces from like one or two average yeah. songs to like a fucking great song and then back again and it just makes me go oh yeah so Playboy Mommy track 11 is fucking great yeah. it's mm-hmm. again one of the really standout songs in my platforms I hit the flow I fell first down didn't help my brain out then my baby came before I found the man just intimate it's really, it's a really compelling narrative, like a, a woman almost apologising to her child mm-hmm. for being a, a stripper, but then telling the child, well, fuck those guys. It's, it's a really interesting twist on that. I think it's another kind of incidental, but excellent example of Tori Amos's feminism, mm-hmm. taking such a thorny subject as things like stripping, which even, you know, 20 feminists in a room or you're going to have a dividing opinion on that and she approaches it in a really tactful and interesting way uh, it's piano led and it's mm. kind of more typical of her stuff little girl they'll do you no harm cause I know you play ball on me but when you tell them my name from here to Birmingham yeah I mean I think when I hesitate there about Hotel I think it is that I don't actually dislike Hotel I think it's a good song but I think the sequencing does it no favours because it's sitting in between Northern Lad and Playboy Mommy which both overshadow it in terms of delicacy Mm -hmm. it's sequenced in another way Mm -hmm. where you were in a different headspace you would probably treat it more fairly I do agree that maybe between these two songs it pulls you out and you go back in and it's a bit inconsistent but in and of itself I quite like it when you listen to the album on shuffle if you ever do that it comes across quite differently funnily enough when I started listening to music on CD when I was a teenager I just always used to put albums on shuffle. Yeah, that was it, how I listened to CDs. I put it on random, which is weird. Um, you get a completely different impression of it, though. It yeah, is you quite get, interesting. I think you get a more rounded impression of the songs. The songs. You don't have the flow as it's supposed to be, mm-hmm. but I think this album would work re- well on shuffle because it would just be like, I don't know quite what I'm going to get, but it's probably going to yeah. be a decent song. The, the only track in this album that I'm not a fan of is Pandora's Aquarium, the 12th and final song. It's really eccentric. You can hear a lot of artists, by the way, that have copied this specific style mm. of eccentricity. Mm-hmm. Some of the more wacky Joanna Newsome stuff draws in this to earlier kind of Milk-Eyed Mender stuff. It almost has like the feeling of like a musical, as in like a musical theatre or musical yeah, film. Yeah. Kind of really character-based and at times gets a bit too loungy or jazzy for me. You.
it stands out in the album I think as well by sounding like it came from a completely different place whereas a lot of these albums are experimental and have these electronic elements and are quite different in production this is different in a way that doesn't sound like it came from the same songwriting process I can't really explain it but it, it's a disappointing ending I would have loved to have seen the album end on Playboy Mommy if you were going to sequence it the way it's sequenced for example that would have been a great way to end it because this doesn't add anything over and above that mm-hmm. um and saying that, it's not it's not terrible. It's not like a, a song that you're like, oh my God, turn that shit off, it's fine. But the 11 songs that precede it, I think, are mostly tremendous. A couple, yeah, okay, I agree. Maybe She's Your Cocaine is a slightly fumbled attempt at a PG Harvey and maybe a couple of other ones fall short of the trip-hop that inspired them. But as an, a collection, and an, an ambitious collection, I think it definitely deserves more recognition. For what it shows in terms of her endeavour as a musician and a songwriter, but also what it did in terms of opening up the possibilities for her to have this massive career where she had all these other options now on the table in terms of where she was going to go. Mark, you disagree? I do disagree. Um, I think it's dated quite badly in a lot of places. I think it's sequencing does it absolutely no favours at all. I just couldn't connect with it because of that, even though there are some songs in there which I will definitely keep in rotation going in the future. Full disclosure, like when I had an iPod of limited capacity and was forced to kind of pick and choose what I had, I'd kept four songs off this album, Black Dove, Spark, Northern Lad and Playboy Mommy, Mm. and I'd deleted the rest. Not because I think they're bad, but because I was in a position where I couldn't keep everything I wanted. Mm -hmm. So so yeah, I can can totally appreciate that there are some that will stand out, but forcing myself to engage more with the album, I think is really strong. But you're also, you're also bang on and saying it's dated. It is dated. It's dated in the same way as, you know, I watched Red Dawn. The Patrick Swayze film we never mentioned in your Patrick Swayze binge, by the way, Red Dawn. Oh, yeah. I, we, I mean, that's it's quite bad. It's quite bad. bad. Mm-hmm. It's very dated. But yeah. For what it is, like sometimes dated is fine as long as you're accepting it for the yeah. fact that well, it's yeah, dated. Yeah, I mean, you can say that about Prince, but I think the overall impression I got of Tony, Tony Amos' discography is that this is the thing that I think is probably dated the worst Really? Of what she's done, yeah. Well, I think American Doll Posse is probably dated the worst. Well, that definitely sounds like a, for the most part, like a mid-2000s attempt at a rock record. It doesn't sound as bad as this does in, in context, Well, I right? think it's dated, but it's also a weaker product, whereas I think this is dated, but it's a much stronger product. Mm. I, I am completely torn. I don't know, because... By the way, can I, I just say, I'm not saying... That these are Tori Amos's best songs. No, no, it's, no, no. I, yeah. what, what I'm saying no, is, no. I mean, it's exactly. Is this album unsung? This is under. Yeah, this is under recognised um, in her canon. And I yeah. recognise that because for me, Tori Amos does she work better just doing what she originally did? And I go back to Little Earthquakes, and I think that's her best album because it's her rawest, most undiluted version of what she is. And I think a lot of people know think oh that's who she is and then her later 90s stuff she got a bit more eccentric or you know that's what people think but like little earthquakes is just a really fucking pure brilliant album the next two records built on that i love like seeing an artist experimenting and trying new things and i completely see why this record is the one to look at of her you know starting to develop things go down electronic routes i'm just not sure it gets enough of those things right yeah. I think she tries a lot of things I think it wears and she's its heart. got really good songs on it. It wears its heart in its sleeve though yeah. in doing that. Um, yeah, yeah. I just think that uh, maybe Venus is maybe just a slightly more perfect album than this. I agree with that. 
Yes, it might be one of our most unsung records, but we also want discography to have good records in it, and this is just far too average to go on, I think. Oh, see, I think that's way overstated. Mm, I don't know if it's average. I also, I quite like the fact that it's dated. I don't know if there's something, yeah. you know, I mean, there's I mean, a I, warmth I, about that nostalgia. I like Massive Attack, and Massive Attack's dated. I like Yeah, I love York Pierce Brosnan and James Bond yeah, films, and yeah. I love the N64, I mean, so, you know, and, it's a good time. And, and in terms of just the, the perception that it's an average record, I really disagree. Like I said, Spark, Black Dove, Northern Lad and Playboy Mommy are four of the best songs by a female singer-songwriter ever, let alone by Tori Amos. I mean, I think Black Dove especially and Northern Lad actually are right up there with anyone by anything by anybody I could think of in terms of poignant emotional mm-hmm. songwriting I, I, so I really don't think that but an the, album that has four I think, such strong I think songs. the problem for me is if you're looking at Tori Amos overall what she's best at is being poignant and perfect and brilliant like that and Little Earthquakes is an entire album of that yeah it, um, I, it's an entire album of that if you want uh, Tori Amos trying other stuff out I think To Venus and Back is a more rounded record I think this is a very imperfect record by a, a really brilliant musician and I'm happy either way because I'm really glad that we've been able to chat about Tori Amos if it doesn't get voted in then that means we can put forward maybe to Venus and Bag or you know we can discuss that yeah. but if it does get voted in then we've done what we needed to do we've talked about Tori Amos I think one last pitch I would make then in, in, in that case is that uh, Little Earthquakes is her is the definitive Tori Amos mm-hmm. um, she couldn't have had a full career of that clearly because she did albums like Scarlet's Walk and The Beekeeper and yeah. she was just evidently yeah, you mean, running dry yeah, of, of, of these ideas this album has overall as an album it's definitely not perfect throughout but it has to its credit the fact that it paved the way for a much longer career which had a lot of great points and still does as I said with The Reindeer King on this new album uh, that probably wouldn't have happened if she hadn't done this at this point. Uh, it has at least four. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm limiting limiting it to just those four songs. We've got albums in the canon that don't have four songs as good as the four that we mentioned on this one. And in the rest of that album is a lot of music that is quite dated, but dated for me in a way that showed ambition and sort of initiative. And maybe some of them aim for the heavens and fall a wee bit short. Mm-hmm. But they're by no means bad songs. I think Lie is a, a great song. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that combination of factors, like a solid album that's maybe a bit dated, but was being advent- inventive and adventurous at the time, coupled with four absolutely brilliant tracks, coupled with the fact that it paved the way for a fucking 30-year career. I think those combine over the piece to make it a great record. I don't think... Other albums excel in other ways, but none of them have that spread of attributes. Yeah, I think if you don't know... Tori Amos at all and you go into this record it allows you to go either way yeah and, and the best find part things is, to like and then go to other albums and the best part is you've got me who's been obsessing about Tori Amos for the last three weeks and I'm going to put together a playlist of mm. absolute bangers yeah uh, that if you're not familiar with her I entreat you to do it and hopefully the next time I then go to my female friends and I'm like hey would you like to speak about Tori Amos they're like hell yeah maybe I'll uh, share my uh, post Massive Attack uh, 90s trip hop bangers playlist should, as well. You should definitely do that. That could be good. Can um, I just, yeah, sorry, continue. Yeah, I, I think I'm maybe leaning towards having it in just because I've had a week of 
actually enjoying dated 90s well, music I'm obviously so, yes <laughs> I don't like the fact that it's dated was a thing that put me off it but it's not the key reason why it shouldn't go into photography because we do have records that are very dated in photography like Violator by Depression Mode like Introducing by DJ Shadow Iron Maid I'm going to say Portis Head I guess some no, other, no, 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 no
and a vegan breakfast but the vegan breakfast doesn't have beans dicks sadness <laughs> sadness well go and vote uh, on this anyway, record yeah. please thank you very much thanks a lot guys and yeah cheers